give us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community. That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's begin with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Skip to verse 5. But with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So two things are happening, if we can pause there a moment. The Hebrew people, back in the times of Moses is the reference, they were in the midst of a struggle, and some of them failed, and some of them did not fail. Now, why is that important to know? Well, uh, look at, uh, I think it's verse 11. Now, these things, what? When when people were in the midst of agonies and, and they failed... And then others did not fail in the struggle of life in a messed up world. These things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Oh, look at that. He's referencing the property instinct and the sexual instinct, isn't he? Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. So there are three places to study how the life of God is supposed to work. One, we can go through the Scripture and we can find out about heaven, and that needs to be done. If you don't understand heaven, you will get tainted in your view of what Zoe means. The second is we look at how Jesus used the life of God that he told us that God gave him in John chapter 5 and look at how he worked out Zoe life in the midst of a culture of death and people that wanted to kill him and people that wanted to hurt him with their mouth and lie and bear false witness and steal. Judas stole. Jesus suffered with all kinds of people breaking the commandments of God every day. He was in the agonies, and so are you. So we learn there. And then thirdly, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament, the Torah, is filled with examples that show us specifically how to fight through battles as they relate to two primal instincts created by God, your property instinct and your sexual instinct. They lusted, and because of their lust, they failed. This is for your example that you not lust and fail the same way they did. Can you say amen? So if you want to learn how the life of God defeats the death that comes through lust, then we can go to the Old Testament. And since that is the chronological way that God chose to reveal these truths to us, beginning first in the Torah, that's what I would like to do today. I would like to go back to the Old Covenant types and shadows. I would like to begin with one of the greatest types and shadows in the entire biblical record, which is Moses. Moses is understood by all Christian denominations, no matter what eschatology someone has. Everyone knows Moses was a type of Christ. 
his life was very prophetic and pointed everyone toward messianic principles. And we can begin to see in that same parallel, because he's a type of Christ, he should also be then, logically, a type of Zoe. Because that's why Christ came, was to give us Zoe, that we might have it more abundantly. So when we look at Moses, we will in fact see what Zoe does in the midst of a struggle. Because that's what Christ came to show us. I'm just going to read off some bullet points to you that you can think about if you write fast. These are pretty interesting things to understand why everyone uh, almost universally agrees in the Christian world that Moses was a type of Christ. Here's why. Both Moses and Jesus were miraculously saved from infanticide, the murder of babies, both of them. Both Moses and Jesus were born into evil circumstances under evil, tyrannical, governmental abusers, both of them. Both Moses and Jesus were miraculously commissioned by God himself. Moses was commissioned at the burning bush, and Jesus was commissioned by his father in John chapter 8 and verse 42. Both Moses and Jesus were discredited by their own relatives. Moses was murmured against by his family in Numbers chapter 12, and Jesus was criticized by his own blood relatives in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Both Moses and Jesus were completely rejected by a supermajority of their own race. Both Moses and Jesus were willing to forgive the scoundrels that rejected them. Both Moses and Jesus appeared on the earth after their physical deaths. Both Moses and Christ fasted precisely 40 days. Both demonstrated a supernatural radiance shining from their faces. Moses glowed so brightly after being on the mountain with God that they had to put a curtain in front of his face so that it wouldn't hurt the retinas of the people looking at him. And Jesus shined brightly on the Mount of Transfiguration. Both exercised miraculous control over the laws of nature. Moses parted the Red Sea, and Jesus calmed a great storm at sea. Both of them endured incessant dripping murmurings from people. Moses endured it in Exodus 16, 2, and Jesus endured the same thing in John 7 and verse 12. The Bible says, using the word ecclesia in the New Testament, that both Moses and Jesus built a church. Moses did so according to Acts chapter 7, verses 30 through 38, and Jesus built a church against whom the gates of hell could not prevail in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Both Moses and Christ were mediators of an extraordinary, world-changing covenant. Moses the Mosaic and Jesus the covenant you and I are living in now. So let's look at Moses to find Zoe. You're in the midst of the agonies. You're struggling this morning just like I am. There are powers against us. Let's turn over in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. Now, as you're turning there, I want to bring something to your attention. When we consider that Zoe originated in heaven and came out of the Father, we need to be reminded that Zoe is perfect. Perfect life can exist in the midst of imperfection. 
So God took his perfect Zoe, deposited it into Jesus. We're about to celebrate his birth here at Christmas. Jesus was born in an imperfect, sin-filled, yucky world. Zoe, if you will cooperate with it, it's a gift from Jesus, from the Father ultimately through Jesus to you. He wants you to have it, and if you'll cooperate with it, and this is, this is the issue, isn't it? You have to cooperate. If you will cooperate with it, it will immediately begin correcting your existence, an existence that is assaulted by germs, by wrong thinking, by not good emotions, by the mouths and hurtful things of other people, and by physical attacks. And sometimes, you know, you get hit in the head with a microphone. But Zoe doesn't stop you from getting hit. It just helps you get through it. When you're in the arena, when you're in the fight, you can get injured. And I have a theological problem with any kind of teaching that tells people that if you're really in faith, you will never have a struggle. Because that is not biblical by any stretch of the imagination. Faith is to overcome the struggle, not to stop it from happening. You, you literally are saying you're not going to participate in the fight. You're not going to wrestle anybody because they, they might twist my arm. I might get bruised. So I'm just going to retreat and do nothing and wait for Jesus to come back and take me to heaven. See, that is escapism. And that is what a great majority of the church has done, and that's why this country is in shambles. Escapism. The Zoe life of God is a blessing to your immune system. When you get attacked with some kind of horrible hacking, sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching thing, or some deadly disease that no one's ever overcome, the Zoe life of God is there to help you beat it in the ring. Your job, the apostle says, your job is simply this, don't give up. That's your job. Doesn't mean that the struggle's not going to happen, but your job is to not give up. Keep fighting, and eventually you have victory. Unfortunately, after we're born again and the Zoe life of God comes into us, we're still left with this brain and all these emotions. And really, our thinking patterns in our brain and our emotions is not physically changed. There aren't really any chemicals that become balanced suddenly because you repented of your sins and asked Jesus to be your Lord. The way that that happens, the Bible tells us, is by study, reading. Let the Bible, God's Word, renew your mind. And it takes time. Everybody wants it to be instant, but it's not instant. It does take time. You can't have a faith shortcut around the Scriptures. doesn't work. So time is essential, which is why you have to make God the Lord of your calendar and faithfully attend church every cycle of the seven days. One day is a sign that belongs to the Lord. Give it completely to him. This has been since Eden. Make God the Lord of your calendar. Seek ye first the kingdom. Time is necessary to renew the human mind. The scripture commands you are to take on the mind of Christ. Can't get any higher and loftier than that. You couldn't have a better mind than that. We couldn't raise the bar or the standard any greater than that, and that's your standard. Your standard is not to say, oh, you know what, I, I, I think better than I used to. Well, okay, that's good, but do you think like Christ? That's your goal. Exodus chapter 1, I want you to see this example for us written upon whom the ends of the world hath come. Verse 8, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. That's important. A nation that forgot their founding. Reminds me of something. 
And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. This may not have been literally true, but in the perception of this wicked Egyptian, their own self-perception was that their own slaves, it's a bit of a contradiction, but the slaves in their own self-perception were more. How How do you have more? Your sexual instinct, reproduction, and mightier than them. They were becoming insecure over birth rates and dominion. Now, as I look at that, I I think that's probably an exaggeration. It's the description of pagan Egyptians feeling insecure. So how are they going to handle that? See, Satan doesn't want you to be more, and he doesn't want you to be mightier. He's totally opposed to that idea. You should be less and weak, not more and mightier. And so said the pagan Egyptian to himself in verse 10, Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. And therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their own burdens. In other words, the Egyptians said, We want to take dysfunctional dominion, So we're going to use force of military might because they're having babies more often than we are. Their birth rates are out of control. We have to stop this. And they're prospering. We've got to stop this. See, Satan does not want Adam to get his property instinct in line with the Father God or his sexual instinct, does he? And so we're moving thousands of years forward now, and it's the same two issues again. Dysfunctional dominion demands death. Satan's kids the pagan, demon-worshipping Egyptians have decided that the birth rates of the Hebrews have to be stopped. And he's decided that about the church too. He's decided that about the church. Your thinking, your cavalier nature to just decide you're not going to have children without asking God's permission. You're doing the same thing. It's the same demon, same spirit, and you're letting the Egyptians think for you. I know that's straight, but you know you need to hear it. You know, there are, there are people that are going to exist because of my sermons. And someday they'll come up and say, thank you for preaching, because if you hadn't, I wouldn't be here. And so they built for Pharaoh, for themselves? No, they're going to take dysfunctional dominion by force on behalf of the pagan Egyptians. The Egyptians want their dysfunctional dominion, so they said, look at this in verse 10. Come on, let us deal wisely, lest they multiply and come to pass. And when there's a war, they're going to join our enemies and fight against us, so, so let's run them out of here. And, and they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of slavery in the field. All their slavery wherein they made them slaves was with rigor. An attack against their right to obtain wealth and their command to have children. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, verse 15, of which the name of the one was Shipra and the name of the other Puah. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the birthing stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. And if it be a daughter, then she shall live. 
But the midwives feared God and did not obey as the king of Egypt had commanded, but saved the men children alive. Moses, a type of Christ, is thrown into a world where there is an aggressive satanic attack on the conception and birth of children and a financial attack against any of God's people taking righteous dominion. Verse 18, so the midwives disobeyed the Egyptian Pharaoh, which, by the way, was really dangerous to do. Verse 18, and the king of Egypt called for the midwives, and I'm sure he was yelling angrily, and he said to them, why have you done this thing and you've saved these men children alive? You could die for that. Off with their heads. And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered, er, the midwives come into them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. Do you see a war going on between having babies, killing babies, taking dominion, not being allowed to take dominion? Now that phrase at the very end of verse 21, that he got, because they feared God, he made them houses. The word them in the Hebrew is not the feminine word for them. It is the masculine sense of the word. And it's important to know that because if you think it's, if, it was, if they had used the Hebrew feminine word for them, he made them, the midwives, the women, he established their dominion, their houses. It is not the female use, it's the male. What it means is because the midwives honored God, God blessed the whole nation, men and women. And despite the attack against their dominion, they kept taking it. And this is Zoe in the midst of your agonies, folks. This is what the life of God will do if you'll cooperate. Now keep in mind as we mine out these truths that God's command for dominion was rejected again by Adam and Eve. They insisted on living in dysfunctional dominion and through sex, pregnancy, and deliveries, they filled the world up with unrighteous people and also they yielded to the lust of material possessions. Those two things perverted destroy and bring death. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 17, I want you to keep the epic view of Moses. Romans 5, 17 says this, For if by Adam's offense death reigned by one man, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in Zoe by one, Jesus Christ. Now recall that the institution of physical death was God's direct resistance against dysfunctional dominion, which is a selfish abuse of the power of money and property in your instincts. And therefore, when the Zoe life of God is reintroduced to a twice-born, you will always see a change in how they handle the acquisition of wealth and the institution of the marriage bed. When Zoe life confronts incipient death, even in ancient Egypt, it directly impacts two fundamental parts of a man and a woman's three-part body, soul, and spirit. It affects their sexual instinct and their property instinct. Both come under the authority of Father God's law, 
And it's interesting that the Bible says that a couple, in terms of sex, they have inherited the grace of life together, the ability to produce children. But then in another place, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 and verses 10 through 15. In that passage, instead of the grace of life applying to your sex life, grace is applied to your financial life because that's your property instinct. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 say that the grace of dominion applies to your finances. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15 describe a grace to give finances. Right there in the verse. And it describes that grace as, listen to this, an unspeakable gift. When a man yields his property instinct to God and the grace of dominion comes upon him to use his financial strength in a way to establish the kingdom of God, the Apostle Paul described that grace as an unspeakable gift. So keeping all of that in mind, what was lost by Adam and Eve to sexual lust and property lust, and what is gained by Christ who gives us life as it relates to birth rates, once born, and born into the kingdom, twice born, let's look at getting a hold of property on behalf of the kingdom of God, and let's keep reading verse 22. And Pharaoh charged all of his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. This is horrific. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. And there went out a man of the house of Levi, and he took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. Parents, think of what I'm reading. The government is coming with a soldier to take a sword and cut your baby in half in front of you. The only thing you've got left to do is make a basket and, and put mud all over it and take that precious baby and put it in a basket and leave it in the, in, in the Nile River with alligators. And I can promise you this, when they walked away from the basket, there was deep, deep sadness and mourning and weeping. This is terrifying. And I want you to see Zoe in the midst of this agony. And she put the child therein and laid it in the flags, the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And now it gets worse. You have to put yourself in this position. It gets worse. This is really bad. It's getting worse. Verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the river's edge. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. And she had, now this is where it gets weird. And she had compassion on him. But now remember, watching from the bank, nobody knows what she's feeling. This is the daughter of the guy who just ordered all their kids to be murdered. And of all the people that could possibly find a baby they're trying to save, 
It's the blood relative of the guy killing everyone. This is not looking good from the bank of the river. They don't know what's going on inside her. Think of the agony, the suffering, the terror. And she had compassion on him, and she said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse for thee the child? That's a smart kid. That was quick thinking. And the answer, unnerving. What's she going to say? How will she respond? No, put the child to death. This is civil disobedience. Who's responsible for this baby in the basket? This is scary. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. Now listen to me. The whole time she's going to get the real mom. You know it. I know it. The mom heard it. There was risk involved in going back. If she goes back and says, I did it. It's my baby. I'll nurse it. Everybody's going to know whether she announces it or not. Oh, conveniently, you came to nurse this child. Uh Uh-huh. She's guilty of disobeying Pharaoh, and she could be put to death along with the baby. So we just go flying through the story and don't realize this is terrifying. And the maid went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Watch this. Zoe, life in the midst of the agonies. Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I'll pay you to do it. Now, what you don't understand is in that culture... A woman breastfed a child up to the age of nine. Zoe life is in the midst of a satanic revolt against proper dominion. Satan does not want them to multiply and fill up the world with righteous people. Satan does not want them to prosper financially. He wants them to be destroyed so they cannot take dominion. But Zoe life is introduced in the type and shadow of Christ in the life of Moses... It couldn't get any worse than that. You're a slave. You're not taking much property, are you? And they're killing your babies. Can't have much more problems with having kids than that. And Zoe comes along, the woman related to the guy killing all the children and taking away all their property rights, says to her, take the child and I'm going to pay you wages for nine years to nurse your own baby. Zoe is at work defying the powers of darkness that want to stop her from having dominion both through her property instinct and her sexual instinct. God saves the life of the baby because God wants people to have babies. And God shuts down the spirit of poverty trying to destroy his people. And it doesn't get any weirder than that. And then verse 10, the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she called his name Moses because she drew him out of the water. Hebrews 11.23 says it this way. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. God is calling upon you in the midst of your sufferings, in the midst of your agonies. Have babies, have children. Bring people into the kingdom, get them born again, and take dominion while you're here so that it can be passed on generationally because a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children.
This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in. 